Hello and welcome in. I am the Promo Guy, coming at you from New York City. Today is Thursday, July 20th, but you'll be listening to this Friday at the earliest. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Promo Guy podcast, now brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Mojo, the stock market for sports. I am once again joined by Nick from Blue Duck Media. Nick, how are we doing today? I'm good. Welcome to episode 13. We've made it to your bar mitzvah, TPG. There we go. Hopefully it's as fun as my bar mitzvah was. Um, I hope so. <laughs> Did you have a sports betting theme bar mitzvah? Yeah, obviously. I was I was trying uh, to sign everybody up for for uh, illegal books back back then. <laughs> um, I, told, I told everyone's parents I don't I don't want any like bar mitzvah money or or any gifts or anything like that. Just you know, make it make a new account with with my bookie. Yeah, just give me some free bet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. give me some free bets. I'll convert them better than you could ever give to me. Um, so I was wondering, I saw a post this morning, this weekend, we have both, I mean, I guess maybe this afternoon, both Barbie and Oppenheimer are coming out. Do you plan on seeing either this weekend and which do you, are you more of a Barbie guy or more of an Oppenheimer guy? Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of love movies. Like I, I'm pretty easy critic when it comes to watching movie. I'm just happy to be entertained for a few hours when I have some time, like the experience, the big screen, like I'm kind of a sucker for, for movies. I don't know if I'll see both. I feel like I end up getting busy and whatever, just not going a lot of the times, but I would lean Oppenheimer, but, and it would never do like two in a day because I'm not spending six hours at the movie theater, but I'm interested in both. Just to see I have a confession. Tell me. I am going to see both in theaters on Saturday. That's your, that's your whole day. That's your whole Saturday. Well, I honestly, I think a little ambitiously, I think I'll be going to the beach as well. I think, do you want to guess which one, which order I decided to do it in? I hope you're going beach first. No, 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 That's impossible. But which movie I'm seeing? What do you mean? You tire, you tire yourself out and then you, then you kick your feet up. Like I, for me, if I didn't do something active before, I would be kind of antsy at the movies for six hours. But if I was, if I was worn out, I could do it. I think the game plan, uh, I know the game right, plan is 10.30 Oppenheimer into a, I should be out by like 1.30, hit the beach, have a few drinks, have a nice afternoon, and then an 8 p.m. Barbie. Oh, okay. That's doable. I, I, I could see that. I guess for some reason I was fixated on the back-to-back that a lot of people were doing. Yeah, I, I couldn't do the back-to-back. I agree. I right. need to okay. run around yeah, a little I'm, bit. I'm but... saying... Yes, this is six hours straight. is very daunting for me, especially if you haven't done anything yet that day. But if you sort of do the separate them with a bunch of hours out in the sun in between, I, I can see it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll report back next week, let you know. I've never done anything like that, so uh, I'll report back. Right. But in the meantime... Please do. Hopefully I get... can see one at some, you know, some point soon. Uh, don't worry, I'll follow right? up next week. I'll ask. Yep, both. I mean, I think you could do like the late Thursday night showing, but yeah, they come out tomorrow for all right. intents and purposes. Um, all right, well, I'll report back on Boppenheimer. Uh, in the meantime, you want to give us the state of the stack? Boppenheimer, get, get you thrown off the show. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do it. So a much more positive A block. Not that it, it's been super negative, but I felt like last week was really the first time I've been you know, clearly negative on performance since, since the uh, podcast has started. And so basically a direct and immediate big turnaround, which is great. So 
what do we do? I think we made back like almost the, maybe the whole month uh, profits back or losses back with, okay, so we hit the FanDuel boost, which is the first boost that it hit of the month, if I'm not mistaken, which is the plus 200 home run one. We had the Wimbledon boost on Caesars. We went two for three on those. We hit the first two and then we lost the, the replacement if anyone had missed. So two or three on those, which is great. We hit Caesar's free bet from the World Series promo. So, uh, and then we hit Rory on DraftKings for the plus, I believe it was 1400 So even if you only had a $5 max, it's just where I track it, but still $70, which especially in sort of a quiet time is, is a really nice hit. So tremendous week on Twitter puts us, I don't know exactly where in July, but certainly around you know par around zero i think maybe we can squeak in negative uh, i mean positive by the end of the month or maybe we already are and we can maintain it but really happy with with that twitter turnaround look negative variance happens down months will happen again especially in a quiet month like july but it always i always care a little bit more when we are having a bit of a downswing just that you know, new followers or people that are starting to lose faith a little bit can, can feel a little bit better and have their accounts boosted up a bit. No pun intended. Discord uh, also had a, a strong week. Uh, I would say, honestly, as always at this point, but, you know, I'll knock on every wood nearby that uh, Dinger Tuesday continues to be phenomenal for us, for lack of a better term. So this week, limited made $158 on the home run bets. Uh, someone told me we haven't had an offer in the limited group, which is pretty good because it's been like three or four bets each week. Uh, in two months, we had another $50 of free bets, obviously, and limited goes past the $1,000 mark on the season. I don't know exactly where average-wise, because I don't know how long it's been, but I think we're above $70 per week average, which is, again, just great. I think it's been... Has it been 13 or 14? Let's see. So $78 if it's been 13, $73 if it's been 14, and we still have the $50 free bet. So we are just blowing away the $50 free bet part of the promo. Uh, we're converting the great. We're hitting home runs great. So that's a limited if you only get $50 per week. Unlimited also crosses a big threshold. Unlimited finishes up $160 on Tuesday and adds $215 in free bets because there were so many home runs on Tuesday, moving the unlimited group to plus $2,000, $2,005 um, on the season. So it's doubling them up, averaging, and we're averaging 100, over $150 per week if you're unlimited. Last year, we ended up plus 2,800, which I thought was a really great year. The year before, we were up like 3,200, something like that. And again, that was... Uh, when everything was site credit. So we are on pace to actually beat the last few years, if I'm not mistaken, uh, depending on when the promo ends. But even if we're right where, where we were, really, really great Dinger Tuesday season for us. I hope we can keep it going. I hope we can do well with these free bets this week. And yeah, uh, that's sort of the overwhelmingly positive state of the stack um, from this past week. Love to hear a positive state of the stack. Do we have anything... Uh, to update in the gambling landscape this week. I feel like it may be a bit of a quiet week there. Yeah, it continues to be quiet. People seem to be less angry because the few bets that we've had have hit better. Uh, even some of the drafting $5 ones we've done, we've done pretty well with. Obviously, I mentioned the Rory ones, but a couple of the smaller ones have done well too. Uh, we, we hit that big SPS, I think that was just the Discord. But, uh, you know, some of these, there's 
all these promos, MGM, DraftKings, they've, they've been they've been increasingly targeted. And it's just I, I beat it to death last week, so I don't want to really last two weeks, so I don't want to say too much, but I think it's more par for the course for how these things going. I guess it's a shout out to Caesars for being the one place that's really continued to to not show any effects of July. Again, I think they learned their lesson from last year. So that's all great to see. But yeah, it's it's gonna be quiet until football comes back. I think that the Women's World Cup seems to be drawing a few promos here and there, which is nice. But I think a lot of it's just filler until we, you know, put some meat on the bones uh, when football starts. Yeah, really looking forward to football starting. While we're talking about football starting, do you want to give a bit of an update uh, on what we'll be doing leading up to football season? Kind of just let our, our listeners know what they can expect from us in the weeks leading up to the season. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I know one thing that I'm really excited about for football and that we'll be doing on this show a lot will be focused on the Vegas-based fantasy rankings. For those who weren't around last year or just missed it, we did, or last year we debuted, uh, me and my my friend Grumble, uh, who's very helpful with some of the tech stuff in the Discord, uh, have created basically fantasy football rankings that were based on the over-unders sports books put out. So the benefits of, of this type of ranking, just kind of like everything in the EV world, is that you get to use rankings that are based on where people, you know, an efficient market where people are putting money on, where you can actively bet against. So instead of saying, oh, Matthew Barry, Matthew Barry thinks that Najee Harris is going to have a big year and he should be ahead of Austin Eckler. I'm just using an example from last year that obviously wouldn't be what he would say this upcoming season should be ahead of Austin Eckler. I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. It must be true. I think that it's more efficient instead of taking one person's opinion to take more of this wisdom of the crowd and be like, well, Najee Harris is projected less yards and touchdowns. So he's projected less fantasy points and Austin Eckler should be ahead. And if you don't think that's true, you can just go bet against it, right? You can, you can bet on, Najee Harris's yards and touchdowns are against Eckler's yards and touchdowns. So uh, I, I think that that is a, maybe a more efficient way to do your fantasy drafts and stuff like that. So we're going to be doing a lot of stuff based on fantasy rankings. Uh, I know Nick's really excited to talk, just talk football about some of the NFL stuff he likes. Uh, some Most of you probably know that I focus more on college football. So I'll be doing some college football bets that I like. Yeah, same page there. Excited for us to talk some college football. I think this will be the year that I've been locked in the most on college football and just excited to preview the season for both NFL and college football. And while you're trying to make everybody money uh, with some positive EV plays, I'm excited to just take a look across both leagues and see if there's any uh, futures that I want to share. Um, and hopefully we get some of your opinions out there too. Um, so yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Looking forward to all of that. And in the meantime, uh, shall we move on to the big thought? Uh, yes, the big thought. You know, I hadn't given a tremendous amount of thought to what the big thought would be this week because obviously we were going to have a guest and, it, you know, some stuff came up. We moved it around. So uh, a few people had asked me yesterday to sort of dive in a little bit more into the uh, Twitter conversation, I guess I would call it, that I had with Alex, uh, I don't want to mispronounce his last name, M- Monahan, the creator of Odds Jam. I would say a sort of background, like, you know, we, we used to DM a lot. We talked on the phone a few times. We started out at sort of the same time. 
I think that what he has done with Ozjam is great, just in terms of educating the public about, I don't know if the public's right word, but educating people about line shopping, becoming a smarter, better, uh, you know, EV in general. And I think that that thinking that way, and obviously I've preached this myself, does help people a lot and he's done a lot of good in, in that department. Uh, the tweet that I replied to was, uh, I can't find it, but basically it was a fliff play of his that was a player to go over, I think it was Bailey over to go over his outs. And it was minus 135. And he said he had a screenshot of six sports books, I believe it was. It was DraftKings, MGM, Caesars, something with the fire. <laughs> um, and Fliff, and Fliff obviously being the book that he was recommending the play on, and then Pinnacle. So he basically said, look, MGM's at minus 160, Caesars at minus 158, hammer that shit. And, and, and the quote, hammer that shit, was probably what got me to reply. And I just said, this is negative EV to four of the six books here. Uh, you know, I, don't, I don't know if I said any more than that, but my, my tone was like, why are people hammering this shit? Not that it's a particularly bad play. It may be plus EV, it may not be. But if it's negative EV to four of the six books on the screenshot, and even if it was great everywhere, like I would never say hammer that shit. Uh, and, you know, I always try and do the zero to one unit scale and just keep everything fun and appropriate. And I understand doing the like, if this is a really great play, basically saying, hey, this is a really great play. And, you know, hammer that shit would be one way to communicate that. I guess my issue with the tweet was it wasn't this amazing play that people should be hammering pretty clearly, at least from an EV perspective. Again, it was negative EV to four of the six books. And I always include the book that you're taking it on because, well, that should count too. I don't know why we always ignore it. And it was negative EV to four of the six books that were displayed. And then it was uh, also on a book that, and we can have a separate conversation about this, but it was on a book that has had issues with people in the past. He just had the, what was it, NHA scandal where they took everybody's account balances to zero and their Twitter account went private. And who knows if people are getting their money out of there? Hopefully they do. But Flip is another type of sports book that, well, one, you have a max for the amount you can withdraw each month. And it's a book that, that this could happen to, that sort of thing. There's a reason why I haven't ever uh, put out a play from there, recommended a play from there. Even the tag in my Discord, like for book flip, because people ask literally every single day for months for one, said, <laughs> I conceded by saying, at book flip, not a recommended book, just to, to hammer that point home. Uh, so, so again, yeah. So I kind of wanted to be like, why are we hammering that shit of a mediocre play, slightly negative EV by the Austrian Zero Big Calculator on a sketchy sports book in the same week that a different sketchy sports book that you were promoting just went down. Like, I just want him to communicate better because he's got a big platform. I don't know how many followers, but it's a lot. I think it's similar to mine. And I just see a lot of EV betters and really a lot of betters out there in general who are, who are trying to find more and more EV. I'm getting sent all these things. Somebody said this one bet yesterday was 75% EV and it just wasn't. And, you know, it just gets dangerous with the like, oh, I'm going to use Porter Kelly and I'm going to do all these assumptions that are 75% EV or on weird sports books or somebody telling me to hammer that shit. And like, it's all just sort of mediocre, but I'm going to overextend my bankroll and, and just like run into troubles in that way. So I just want people to just sort of breathe. This is for fun. Like if you found a play that you think it's good, explain why, 
this whole worst case, it's whatever percent EV or this ham, like none of that, uh, first off, none of that stuff's usually true because the worst case, if you're using it on a sports book, would be negative EV because that book is, <laughs> that book has a certain line. But just a lot of, I think we just got to be careful with a lot of the verbiage. And, and I've caught kind of black for, for, for saying must bet. So I'm not saying I'm perfect with this. And this is always with boost. I, I say must bet because it'll, first off, it'll be good everywhere. And there are maxes and all that. But I say must bet to say, if you believe in EV betting, this is a no brainer bet. Like you have to make this bet. It doesn't mean you need to max it. It doesn't mean you need to hammer that shit. It just means this is a no brainer. This is a must bet. It is a, if you believe in EV betting and you're doing this whole thing and you find entertainment value from betting, this is like a good to every book with a, a clear amount of cushion, no matter what assumption you can make, this is positive. Like this is a must bet. It is a no brainer. And that's always what that means. It doesn't mean unload the clip on it. And I don't like seeing all this around of, of unload that stuff. So that doesn't mean that Alex hasn't done a ton of good for the gambling world and provided a great service that I use and provided valuable info. I just want to see people being a little bit more careful with not everybody's got the same bankroll that, that you do or we do or whatever. Just be careful. Be honest about the EV calcs show your work, and then tell people, hey, I think this is a pretty good play. I know it's a little bit, I know it's basically zero EV to, to MGM and Caesars and DraftKings. <laughs> and it's on a book where it's negative. So again, it's, it's pretty hard sell. But it was it's it's arbitrable and plus EV to the fire emoji one. Uh, it's not emoji, the fire one book, whatever that is. And and it was, and it was uh, I, I believe it was arbitrable to Pinnacle as well, which he believes, and I'll, we can get into that in a second, is the sharpest book in the world. Like, okay, if, like just, just explain your work, say what you think, give the caveat and let people do with it what they want. Even if you want to do a unit recommendation, like go for it, uh, as long as you have some sort of scale and it, and it makes some sort of sense. But the, oh, it's minus 160 here, hammer that shit when it's negative EV to that book is something that I think is inappropriate and it's, it's maybe you know not educating people the way that you should, and he's better than that. So that, that's why I replied and had that conversation with him. But anyway, I've been rambling long enough. Uh, Nick, do you have any follow-ups or any questions on that? Yeah, I guess just I'm curious if you can make sense to me. Uh, Alex says he's using Odds Jams plus EV tool. Why does this show up if most of the if this play is negative EV on four out of six books? Oh yeah, uh, God, that's a good question. So I, I um. They use Pinnacle. Well, they use the perfect line. They call it like an average thing, but I think that they, and they, they weighted it or something. You know, they, they, they said it was a big formula, but Ozjam has generally had Pinnacle as the quote unquote perfect line. That's that's their verbiage on line. And they've called it, quote, the sharpest book in the world. And they've referred to it as that for player props and for non-player props. And for those who don't know, Pinnacle is considered and should be considered very sharp, arguably one of the sharpest in the world for a lot of markets. If you look at soccer lines, if you look at um, big markets, one that they, ones that they really pay attention to, and it's a European baseball, that's why I refer to soccer lines. It'll have extraordinarily tight pricing with very high limits. And those are certainly evidence of a bookmaker that is very confident in their markets and is very sharp. And there's been evidence to show that Pinnacle is very sharp in those types of markets where they are not sharp are player props. They outsource 
player profit is nothing like it's not coming from the same role, same system that their sharp markets are used on or their sharp sharp whatever are used on. So their player props are different. They have, I believe it's $250 limits for them. So much lower limits for all player props. And it's much, much wider. And I've been saying this for years because people were using Pinnacle as at and and honestly wrong, zero big calculators to calculate like Dinger Tuesday home run stuff. And I, and I was just shouting, trying to shout from the rooftops, don't do this. They're not sharp. They're super wide. The calculators are off and you're going, you're literally betting on, on someone on FanDuel is plus 500 and he's plus 600 on DraftKings and Caesars and stuff. And, and, and just have this sort of one way mindset about Pinnacle that is wrong and it's misinforming people. So that's why it came up. It came up because it was really good to Pinnacle, which means very little, I would say. Uh, honestly, I, I view it as like one of the least sharp markets out there. I, I don't know where it compares to the the Fire Book, whatever that book is. And honestly, I don't even want to find out what it is. I prefer to call it the Fire Book. But I like the Fire Book. I think we'll start. Yeah. I'll do some digging. We'll find out what the Fire Book actually I mean, is. But for now, it. just calling it the Fire Emoji is not, exactly. Is good well, that's what it looks like. And then, so it's actually interesting. Um, someone had sent me actually after this conversation. I'm not sure if they want me to say who it was, so I just won't. But Ajim actually uses, uh, like they actually use a bot to find the plus EV tool plays. And apologies if I say any part of this wrong, but I think I have it right. And they were using it as a as proof that their plus EV tool works because a ton of people were giving them a hard time. And maybe I had something to do with that about the pinnacle stuff and that I think some people had reported that they were getting their butts kicked a little bit. So they said, look, we will show you, we're going to have a bot that does all the plus EV tool plays, just a lot of plays, and we will show you that it works. And I think they started this in January. Again, I apologize if I'm wrong, but it was not too far off from January. And after six or so months, the ROI is plus half a percent, which is, I don't know what the expected ROI was, but I, I saw a graph and it was maybe like, three or four times that, right? So yeah, that, that could be variant, although there's pretty decent sample size in there. But what was interesting, if you dive into the plays, it was actually doing very well and just like what you'd expect in the non-player prop part of it, where it was struggling was on player props. It's down on the year on player props, which is actually worse than it even sounds because you're still picking presumably the best price in the market. You're just, you're just picking a play that maybe, you know, it's still negative EV, but like it's still the best price in the market. It could be plus EV to other books if other books are with Pinnacle. Like if you're actually fully line shopping, it's hard to do that poorly unless you're doing it on bad markets or doing it on very non-sharp book, like sharp comparison. So to me, that's pretty decent proof of everything I've been saying. And I didn't need the proof. I had never seen it until now. And I've been saying this for years, but it's just more proof that Pinnacle is not sharp for player props. I don't think that they advertise themselves as such. I don't know why Ozjim would have them as the perfect line or the whatever as the plus EV tool, basically comparison. But I think that that is just more speaking to why I replied and what I'm saying about being careful. Because if you basically say hammer that shit to a, you know a bunch of player props, like you would be really hurting right now. And it doesn't mean you couldn't be really hurting if you took a bunch of true plus EV plays and whatever, but it's behaving, in my opinion, as it should, where the non-player pop, you know, if you look at like the total goals markets, which is 
probably a soccer thing that, and again, I say pinnacles very sharp soccer. So if you can get an ARP or a really good play plus EV two pinnacles, total gold market, you'll probably do very well. Or a lot of the non-player prop stuff where they are sharp and they broke it down by subject where they were really struggling. were like player strikeouts, something that like pinnacles just not doing sharply. Uh, they were really struggling on, uh, I'm blanking, but other player prop markets and player props in total, they were clearly quite down on. So I would like to see them change that. I hope they do at least change the verbiage around. Like if you want to continue to believe and see this out further and further, and I'm sure they'll get rid of their bot before they, before they just let it, you know, have like a year's sample of down player props or, or only being up half a percent. But I would like to see them either just at least just change the verbiage around hammer that shit or, you know, this is a, this is some awesome play when they're just not. I'm not saying that some of his, like some of his plays are great. A lot of the stuff he does with, especially in the fantasy realm, like some of them are good. And I wasn't saying this play was so bad. It's just, it's just like, don't say hammer that shit. If it, if it, and don't cite Caesars and MGM, if it's negative to them. No, you're taking it because it was was good to pinnacle. And then we can have that conversation of, should we be hammering that shit about plays that are good to pinnacle when it's, you know, an outs market, a strikeouts market where pinnacle or where the plus EV plays begin their asses kicked. And where it doesn't like forget about forget about performance. It's never made sense to me to use this. I you know I don't care what the performance is. These markets are extraordinarily wide. They move a ton. That was the thing that that would like freak me out the most. It was like why are they moving so much if they're the sharp ones? They would they would just post their market, be confident, and I mean sure that every every market moves a little bit, but and they would just you know remain in place. Why do they keep moving to the other markets? Like they just didn't behave sharp in any way, shape, or form. They don't behave sharp in any way, shape, or form. So let's not rely on them. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you. You were cooking there. Um, yeah, no, uh, I didn't mean to, to go off, but I've been kind of screaming this for years now. And I guess this was a uh, good time and a good question by you to get back into it. Yeah, sounds like you're a fan of pinnacle, the pinnacle prop market. Um, <laughs> but I'm getting the wrap it up sign from producer Hank. So I'll take it to break. And we'll be back with the Wheel of Sports. Okay, I've got a new promo code for Mojo, the stock market for sports. The code is TPG Match. So TPG M A T C H gets you a 20% deposit match up to $200. Uh, I highly recommend doing this and playing their Sunday Slams promotion, which is only available in New Jersey and has been incredibly profitable for people tailing ROI Guy in the Discord. So again, TPG match, 20% deposit match up to $200. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Draft a fantasy team against your friends for tonight's or tomorrow's games to win cash prizes. Or try out their pick'em game where you can predict player stat projections for a chance to win big. Underdog's slick mobile app is easy to use and it's even easier to just start playing. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Sign up with the promo code PGP, the Promo Guy Podcast, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PGP. All right, we're back, and let's, uh, let's spin the wheel of sports today. Let's see what we got on the wheel. We've got Draymond Green versus Jordan Poole. We've got Alcaraz wins Wimbledon. Netflix's QB docuseries quarterback. 
and NFL's running backs take to Twitter. Don't forget, as always, TPG's real name is an actual option on the wheel. So let's go ahead and give it a spin. All right, the NFL's top running backs take to Twitter and apparently take to a private group chat amongst themselves as well. I know you feel strongly about running back value. We've actually talked about the way you feel. I'm pretty sure you told me you've written a 25-page paper on running back value. Right now, Tony Pollard, Saquon, Josh Jacobs were all franchise tagged but didn't song lo sign long-term deals. The Giants reportedly offered Saquon 11 to 12 million per year, but he wanted more. What is the value of running backs in the modern NFL, and do they have a reason to be so upset about the way their positions being valued? Well, we have talked about this, but it was in their early shows. And if there's one topic I'm okay to talk about every episode, it is my life's work 18 page, the running back fallacy paper, uh, which I will have to put up uh, at whatever place that I end up going to next because I won't be with action any longer. So I will get into the paper in a second. Uh, so I think you gave the background. So I, do, do they have a right to be upset? Well, they have a right to be frustrated. It's very unfortunate for them. They grew up where running backs were treated a lot better. They grew up competing and, you know, shaping their bodies and whatnot, you know, playing a certain position in college. I feel like most NFL players played quarterback or running back in high school. So maybe I won't go that far, but they trained to be running backs with the expectation that they would be getting paid uh, more, especially proportionally more to what other players are being paid now if they stuck with that. And it just sort of this advanced analytics in the last couple of years has kind of shown everyone, owners especially, or GMs especially, front offices, that running backs shouldn't be getting paid. So it's a tough break for them. It really is. And I sympathize with that. A lot of people have been making the point that they put their bodies on the line more than anyone else and are getting paid the least that there's some unfairness in they don't last like their careers aren't that long, which has kind of always been the case. So maybe the rookie deals could be better. Uh, we had talked about last time, although the problem with the rookie, like them getting paid more on a rookie deal is that they're actually proportionally. So a lot of the positives of a high draft pick and using it on a tackle or a quarterback or even now receivers, they get paid more is that you get productive players on or hopefully productive players on really good deals. Now it's hard. So instead of paying, you know, a lot of these championship teams have come from guys towards the end of their rookie deals uh, being paid so much less than, than when their deals come to fruition, like the Russell Wilson's, even like the Joe Burrows recently, they haven't won at all, but you know what I mean? Where, they get there, you're able to, in the Mahomes, obviously, you're able to build so much talent around them because they're making $30 million less than, than they will in a couple of years, or than they would uh, based on their production. So the hard part about drafting a running back high, uh, other than the position value, although now, now it's tied into the position value because the veteran running backs aren't getting paid, is you get paid based off your draft slot. You don't get paid based off your position when you're a rookie. So these guys are already making six, seven, eight million dollars. I don't know the exact amounts. And it's a very small discount, if any discount now, to what they'll get paid when they hit their quote like prime or time for big contracts. So that's made this whole thing even trickier and has devalued the running back draft position more. And that was part of what, what I was getting on these owners that I think 
two guys went really early this year as running backs. People are like, you know, now sort of the prevailing thought is, well, we'll get them while they're young and then they're valuable when they're young, but we don't want to pay a guy and he's just going to run out, you know, he's just going to burn out. But I think that the bigger issue with drafting the guy early is it's almost worse than, than paying them a little bit more when they're, when they're older is the replacement value of, you know, getting a quarterback on a small deal, getting a receiver on a small deal, a tackle, a, any defensive player, except for a linebacker, these guys that have huge discrepancies, if you hit on them between what they should be getting paid and what they are getting paid, if you hit on a running back and you're like, okay, this guy should be getting paid $9 million, which maybe I probably don't even agree with, but let's just say you hit big, a guy on a rookie deal is supposed to get paid $9 million. Well, you're still paying him six or seven. I, I don't know. What did the what did the guys that went early just get paid? Uh, it was it might have been like eight. So where's the value there? But anyway, uh, so that's my whole thing with drafting running backs. But my, my paper was focused on paying running backs because – it's a little hard to do the draft stuff. And honestly, it was just like a school paper. It wasn't really meant to, um, you know, it had to like page requirement. Uh, I thought it'd be better to focus on salaries, but it's it's easier to to correlate things to salary as opposed to when you were drafted. Obviously, anecdotally, there are a ton of late round guys who have worked out, undrafted guys who have worked out more than other positions. But I think that's all just correlated back to the replaceability of the position and first round picks are going to get more carried. So they're obviously going to, they're going to get more opportunities. So they're going to get more like total yards, but do they do better or do guys that get paid more, do they do better than their less, you know, more poorly paid people, uh, peers when it comes to advanced metrics and really just anything else. So that was what the paper was intended to find. And here's what I found. I found, so I, I really tested against three things. One was, PFF grade, there was no correlation, actually small negative. DVOA, so PFF is like widely expected, you know, whatever, like advanced, they, they track how you do on each given play. So there was no correlation between how much a running back was paid and their PFF grade. This was back in 2015. Uh, but I think that this line of thinking has become incredibly more wide spoken and more obvious since then. So yeah, I was ahead of my time. <laughs> and then... Okay, so then DVOA, defensive value uh, adjusted, whatever, advanced that. There was no correlation between how much a running back was paid and their DVOA grade. Every other position had a positive correlation between how much the player was paid and their both of these metrics. And then the other thing that I did was I, I took the group of guys that had gotten injured midway, and there was a decent amount over the, the previous, I, I believe it was three seasons, and found that they're off because a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, when a backup running back is in, there there's less expectation for them to to run the ball, so they have better lanes or something like that, or you get like third and long. So some of the lower paid guys are going to do well uh, because their their opportunities are better versus like a Marshawn Lynch who they're just going to keep pounding the rock to, or today would be like a Derrick Henry where his opportunities aren't as well. Well, when a guy got hurt over those three seasons, the previous three seasons, their teams actually randomly did better. So even when their their 
highly paid running back was out. Their, run, their offenses didn't suffer. All of these stats somehow were slightly negative, but none of it was statistically significant. So I'm just calling everything zero correlation, even though it was actually negative or whatever. So obviously, an- anecdotally, you know, some of the examples in this paper aren't going to be particularly impactful to people today. I mean, it's like Matt Forte gets hurt. Jeremy Langford improves the Bears offense. Le'Veon Bell gets hurt. D'Angelo Williams improves the offense. But... Still, statistically, these guys should be positively impacting their teams over, you know, the three-year sample that I looked. They didn't. There should be some positive correlation to advanced metrics, which should cut out a lot of the the noise. There wasn't. There, there wasn't even any positive correlation to maybe less advanced metrics like yards per carry. I mean, even if you just look at, like, the Super Bowl winners, like, they're not paying their running backs a lot. So this isn't some conspiracy by front offices to not pay running backs. It's... We don't see the the value in paying, you know, one of the quote unquote better running backs because we're just not going to get more production. And yeah, this has been ingrained in people's heads, not just by the numbers, but by, you know, Le'Veon Bell goes to the Jets and Pittsburgh's offense does just as well or better. And the Jets offense couldn't run the ball at all. Like stuff like that never helps. A lot of it's anecdotal. We also have numbers. But when those two clash, the all the Super Bowl winners not paying their running backs. I mean, this year was a seventh round, you know, guy, and it's been kind of like that for a bunch of years. When you know the Patriots have never really been paying their running backs. Uh, so when you when you have the anecdotal clash with the analytics, why would they pay running backs? It's just no evidence that it helps you at all. There's only evidence that it hurts. So what does that mean? Uh, it means that yeah, it's a tough break for these guys who are upset. I get why they're upset. They probably would have played. I mean, Austin Eckler would probably have played wide receiver or some different position had he known that he was going to get paid a fraction of the amount, and he didn't know. And now what I sort of expect to see long-term, just like I've spoken about how more kids grow up wanting to play basketball than there were back in the 70s and 80s because of all the money in the game and the increased exposure, you know, fantasy football and a lot of that stuff helped and highlights helped a lot of the current running backs when they were growing up, want to become running backs. I think while some of that still exists, I think you're going to see a lot of college kids, college kids especially, and maybe some high school, but again, I think that most of those guys play quarterback and running backs just touch the ball a lot uh, in high school, switch positions and start focusing more on other positions because the premier athletes don't want to bang their head 300 times in, in a few seasons and make, you know, a fraction of what they could at receiver or tight end, I mean, depending on the, the kind of the size of the guy or just other positions. So I think that we're going to start seeing players know that this is going to be a thing because the running backs are not going to start getting paid more. I was deeply offended when two got drafted in like top 15 this year. I think we're, there's just going to be front offices getting smarter and smarter and more and more evidence that doesn't make sense to the running backs and you're just going to see position changes of the top athletes because it's just going to be the the new reality of football. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said. The only thing I disagree with is the the value of drafting a running back high. I think that if you're going to get elite level talent at the position, it might be worth using like I don't think it was necessarily a bad idea for the Lions, who everyone looked at them and said they have two very good running backs to go replenish the talent at the position, let their guys walk, not pay them, go out, pay a high like a high draft pick. There's a lot of opportunity costs there. I get that. But use a draft pick and secure that position with someone who's going to be cost controlled for the next four years. How uh, much money did they even save from that, though? 
I how much would, money did those guys? I don't think it was. I think they saved a very small amount of money, and the the, the and I could be wrong, but I don't. I mean, what what do you think that? Uh, I think it was the thirteenth pick. What do you think the thirteenth pick gets paid? I would guess maybe eight seven million a year, and I and, think that how much if you, you add up what DeAndre Swift, Swift and what Jamal Williams got, I well, was two guess, guys, sure. I would guess what they both got paid was a decent amount higher. Uh, I think they're probably adding up to around twenty million. So I think it makes a lot of sense to get to replace that workload with a back coming out of college that doesn't have a lot of miles on him and let him be the bell cow. You only need one guy, get your second guy from like free agency, get a seventh round guy. These running backs seem to pop up out of nowhere from the seventh round and all of a sudden seem like they're studs. So I don't know. To me, it kind of makes sense to not pay the big name value and just go out and use draft picks on some elite level talent. I think it's even crazier to to use a 13th pick that you can get that you can get a really good player and get a real discount to. Um, Jamal Williams got eight million guaranteed, and I think Swift's on his last year of his contract, so he's still at like under two million. But but you know maybe they were looking ahead. Uh, I just think that, yeah, you don't have to pay both those guys. You could just have like, you know, the Patriot way and have two regular running backs like they always did, you know, like Garrett Blunt and like James White and pay them a combined nothing. You could have, um, you know, Pacheco as and a, uh, I'm blanking on the other running backs that she's had this year. Uh, oh, McKinnon, right? Like you, you can have your two running backs be those guys, pay them nothing and and then have a 13th pick that you can use on a really good corner or... Yeah, but or... even the Chiefs, I'm pretty sure that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a first-round pick. Regardless, I think... I, I get... Well, they didn't, they didn't use him is the point. It wasn't one that they were happy with. <laughs> well, they, he was a really good back at, for the first, like... I think he was like a top 10 back first eight weeks of fantasy, and then he got injured. And so they started moving the workload to the other guys. And by the time he came back, he kind of didn't have a spot as much anymore. But well, that's re- kind of my point. But yeah, yeah. Regardless, it's, it's all replaceable, and you see it within within rosters all the time. Where you know Ezekiel Elliott, who was what the fourth pick, like people think that he was productive when he had the best offensive line ever early. But then like Tony Pollard comes and like, hey, wait, he's he's better, just as good. Okay, bye Zeke. You know, Dalvin Cook was a was a high pick, and and the Vikings were sort of. You know, you whisper internally, hey, Alexander Madison is just as good. Like, we get the same production out of him. Or, um, you know, Saquon Barkley, which is actually the interesting one because I think most people, I don't know if they have an Alexander Madison or a Tony Pollard that has shown to be just as good, but they're starting to wise up internally. Like, wait, you know, we don't need to pay him however many, a year for for however many years. Like, look at every running back pair. Like, we know that we can get this kind of production from someone else so uh yeah do they think that Saquon and Cook and whoever are better but it's not better than getting a an extra linebacker out of them right like a or like a really good player who actually has statistical differences with his replacements the actual the funny thing you'll you'll appreciate this the only player that I found in my research good or bad that was like statistically significantly better or worse, like truly over a couple of years than his peers was Trent Richardson. And he was just so bad. Uh, and I think he was like the third pick, but 
that that's obviously not evidence of anything and nobody ever paid him that much i don't think but i, I do remember finding that funny like but he's not an nfl running back like he's he's barely a whatever leagues he's been bouncing around running back and his stats have always been pretty poor but you have to make sure that the replacement's actually an nfl guy and trent richardson was basically proven not to be but Yes, if you if if you have a competent starter level, backup level, you know, top fifty player in the running back in the world replacement, there's just no evidence here. Anyway, uh, should we cut to the next topic? Uh, yeah, let's give the. There. Um, I was gonna ask if it if you think that this whole thing leads to a lot more hybrids in the position, like you see Debo Samuel types popping up all over the place, and you start seeing receivers get six, seven, eight carries a game, um, but. I'll give you like 30 seconds to answer that and then let's keep them moving. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you, you'll, you'll definitely see that people are even Debo himself doesn't want to be categorized as a running back because he's scared of what that means pay wise. So you're going to have your top athletes being afraid to be running backs, which just means that they're going to turn more into hybrid guys. You know, Ty Montgomery did a good job at this. Like I think people can jump in relatively well. They all played running back at some level. Uh, I, I don't think that the transition's that hard. So yeah, I think you'll be saving roster spots a little bit with that and, and saving money by having some of your highly paid receivers getting carries. Yeah. Uh, good. I'm, I'm on the same page. Um, all right, let's give the wheel another spin. All right. We get Alcaraz winning Wimbledon. He's the youngest player to ever top the ATP rankings. He's won two of the first 10 grand, grand slams in which he's played. This is the third tournament on grass he's played in his entire life. This was Novak's 18th Wimbledon. I, he, I granted he's won seven, including the past four that he's played in until this one. But do we have goat potential here from Carlos Alcaraz? Yeah, I, I don't know a ton about tennis, but what I do know is that Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic for the last I don't know 20 years have basically won all of the majors, right? Uh, I think between them, they probably, between the three of them, they have, what, like 70 or something? I could maybe 60, 60 to 70, right? I think Djokovic now has the most of 24, and the other guys are both at like 20, uh, or like 20 to 23, I guess. So you wonder, so Djokovic, I think most people would consider him still in the heart of his prime. I think he's a little bit older than most people's primes, but like we've seen in the past that, or sorry, we've seen in the recent past, like in the Nadal and Federer, he could still be very good at an older age. And Djokovic hadn't lost in years uh, at Wimbledon. He's, you know, the, the heavy favorite for every major other than Alcaraz right now. So all that's to say is, okay, Djokovic is older. Alcaraz at 19, I think he's 19, right? Uh, is let's say just as good as him, almost as good, you know, somewhere in, in the vicinity. And for as long as Djokovic is around, let's say they split the titles for the next two, three years of the majors. So if there are, of the next 12, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something like they each won four and, and maybe four were won by someone else. It'd probably, it's probably closer to like five and five and two. So he'll have a decent start to his career in, in that sense. But then Djokovic leaves. And a lot of people in the tennis world, myself included, wonder what would have happened to any of Nadal, Federer, Djokovic had the other two not been around, had the other two not won the 20 some odd that they won. Yeah, fully agreed. If Djokovic were by if, if Nadal and Federer were never born, how many titles do you think Djokovic would have right now? So if he's at, I don't know the exact word, if he's at 24, would he be at 35? If you take out their 40 titles? Like probably, right? Maybe yeah. easily. Uh, I don't know exactly how well their their 
title winning years overlap, but I think he he arguably had like 40. So what if Alcaraz deals with Djokovic for a couple of years, still wins half of them, and then now he's 21 and there isn't another GOAT level player that sort of jumps in. And odds are there will be, but he might, but you don't know exactly what year that, that kind of guy comes. And it may not come till he's 26. He might have five years by himself is kind of what I'm getting at out there. If Djokovic has two or three more years of truly competing with him, then what happens if Alcaraz at 21, let's say he's in the heart of his prime, so he's better than he is today, has five years without a true challenger. He has the Medvedevs and the Sinners and whatever of the world. But yeah, you could absolutely, I mean, since most people look at uh, major titles as GOAT conversation, what if he doesn't have better than a default round or, you know, or, or these kind of competition? He just goes out and over five years in 20 majors, he goes and wins 15 of them. Like he could, he could be 26 with 20 titles before a true challenger comes. And then he'll easily pass what these guys did. And I think you'd have to have some conversations around, okay, was he actually the best or was it just not having to compete with Federer and Nadal? But he was also beating Djokovic at 19. So there will be that argument. It's not like he didn't, and he'll probably end up with a winning record because Djokovic would just age out at some point against Djokovic, who will likely be the somewhat consensus goat just based off of accolades. So I think, yeah, that that conversation is is very open and I'm fascinated to see if somebody else does emerge or if this just becomes the what if that we've been talking about for 10 years. Did I cut out again? You did. I'll pick up off of 10 years because uh, that's the last thing. Oh, I that, heard. No, that, that, that's the last thing I said. Yeah, I fully am with you. I wish it was more of a hot take to say that this kid has goat potential. I'm, I obviously hope that, I guess not obviously, but I hope that someone does arise of this young group coming up with him. I hope someone arises and starts to perform like another all-time great. So it's not just him dominating the next 10, 15 years of tennis, but he's awesome to watch and he's truly amazing. And the level of effort that this kid puts into every single point almost seems unsustainable. And that would be my only concern in starting in declaring him the goat this early. I think that Nadal got his wins, but he could have had a longer, more even more fruitful career if he didn't burn himself out. I mean, if you watch his style of play, he never gives up on a single ball. And it leads when he doesn't give up on a play, someone tries to put a, put it away. He makes it all the way across the court and wins that point. Those ones are so demoralizing. He really just takes people out of the game mentally. And joke, I, I feel like Nadal was well, very that's, much like, like that's that. how he beat Djokovic. Just from what I watched. Yeah, agreed. I think there were just a few points where it's like Djokovic had the chance to put him away, buries it to the other side of the court. 95% of people aren't fast enough to get there. And the 5% that are fast enough usually are like, it's a long game, save your energy. You're not sprinting for every single ball. And Alcaraz just seems to have absolutely no quit in him. So... I'm excited to see if his body holds yeah. up and he can well, I continue remember, to I remember Nadal was like 26, 27. And again, I wasn't super clued into to tennis, but people, like he was having some knee issues and people were like, yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you play the way he does stylistically. Like you're done early. Federer is the exception for still being good at 32 or whatever, you know, whatever he was. I remember that conversation being around and then Nadal just sort of came back and fixed it and won a bunch more titles. So uh, yeah, injury is always a thing, but 
athletes just keep getting better. I've been telling you, and they are faster to balls and they hit them harder and they're able to, you know, medicine gets better and prepare their bodies better and they're out drinking less and all that stuff. So injuries are always scary, but it's on the table for sure that, that we could be looking at the go in 10 years, right? That we could be talking about him in that way. And by the way, in 10 years, he's only 29. <laughs> so if he has 20 more years of his prime, like some of these guys, you know, the Djokovic and Federer's and Nadal, again, I don't know their exact ages, but I think Federer still, still won a title of, what, 37? So it's plausible. He has so many years ahead of him being really good, and we'll see if challenges come up. But he could be he could rack up titles in a hurry, and, you know, that conversation could be hard not to go with him, especially if he's got winning record against Djokovic, which I'm going to guess he will have just because of, again, Djokovic probably ages out. Yeah, their ages. Yeah. Uh, same page. Excited to revisit this. We'll we'll talk in ten years and see if we're exactly. our predictions our predictions gone well. Um, no. All right, well, let's end to the whatever episode of Promo Guy podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, episode two thousand. We'll be getting to uh, <laughs> to Alcaraz's goat goat uh, career. Um, all right, let's uh let's finish a strong show with grind my gears. What's got you worked up this week? You know what really grinds my gears. I gave Caesars a lot of credit. They've been really good with promotions uh, recently, but they did have one promotion that they've been running every week and they've been doing this more and more and I can't let them off the hook any longer. And this maybe goes under the defend my line category, defend that line slash grants my gears, but it seems to be happening more on Tuesdays or I'm just paying more attention on Tuesdays. Anyway, so they run their two 25% home run boost promos. Max $50. Should be a very strong promo if it were on any other book. Well, Caesars, when they put these out, they they just tank their home run line. And I'm relatively confident they hadn't put out the promo yet and the lines were better and then they got worse when the promo did come out. I didn't take pictures or anything. I have no evidence. What I did take pictures of are what their lines look like, particularly with one game. It was the Marlins. I think they were playing the Cardinals, but I can only see Marlins on my on my screenshots. Here are the here are some of the odds that they had, and this was egregious across the board. I'm going to compare the Caesars one to I'll do to DraftKings, although Bet365 was actually higher in DraftKings, and basically every like DraftKings wasn't the highest in the market, but I'll do DraftKings because I believe that they were usually the second lowest, and I'm trying to prove a point. So first guy, plus 205 versus plus 750. So Caesars was plus 205, DraftKings was plus 750. For reference, and this is going to be, again, common, Bet365 is plus 925. Uh, next guy, plus 185 against plus 700 on DraftKings. My favorite was minus 165 versus plus 310. Like, are you kidding me? Minus 165 for a guy to hit a home run in like a regular game uh, versus plus 310. One was plus 275 versus plus 1100 on DraftKings, which was plus 1425 on Bet365. This is, suffice to say, <laughs> there weren't really any good 25% boost plays because if you boost minus 165 by 25%, you get minus 132. So yeah, we could have taken our minus 165 and turned it into minus 132 except for the fact that it was over plus 300 on every other book this really grinds my gears don't have a fake promo like don't run a promo to run a promo and try and trick people and caesars does this honestly with like all of their boosts or like none of them are any good but this was so egregious it's a promotion 
like don't have it if you're going to if you're going to be this cruel with your home run lines and, and some of the games most most of the other games were better than this but this is hilarious check your lines fix it i mean <laughs> you just can't have a plus 275 when there's a plus when every book is above plus 1100 it's it's offensive to me it's offensive to you guys they sh- it should be legal to have that kind of big it's a one-way market they would never have it on a two-way market so i'm always talking about books should be forced to have two-way markets because I would love for them to have minus 165 at minus 500, right? Because everyone else for this yeah. guy that was minus 165 was minus 450, minus 475, minus 495, minus 500, minus 500. You get the point. Are they really going to have minus 165 at minus 400, minus 500? Like, of course not. So either be honest with your lines or just start posting two ways so that you're forced to be honest. But I really didn't like this. It really grinded my gears. Uh so that's it for me. Any thoughts there? I just think it's ridiculous and it plays into what a lot of our grinds, my gears have been where there's just no real oversight and books try and take advantage of people. And thankfully you call it out and it's made me more aware of the fact that it happens so often. So double check your lines, make sure you're line shopping a decent amount. And hopefully some of, hopefully TPG and I can keep doing the Lord's work and hopefully get these things uh, a little bit more regulated. <laughs> the Lord's work. Um, yeah, and a small shout out to FanDuel, who has one-way one lines, but they're usually very reasonable, especially for like home runs and stuff. Uh, and they sort of allow you to bet home runs and have fun and be a sports book like they're supposed to be. So Caesars in general, they do a lot of good. They've had some promos. They do a really good job of not limiting people. Like there are stuff... There's stuff that they deserve a lot of credit for. I don't know where they'll fall in the EV rankings, but this is egregious. You can't do it. They've done it for a few weeks now on Tuesdays. Uh, clean it up, please. So anyway, that is it for our show today. Thank you to our sponsors, Underdog Fantasy and Mojo, the stock market for sports. Stay tuned to us on all platforms. Uh, Nick, you are starting uh, the Promo Guy Podcast Twitter account, I believe, right? Maybe we should have mentioned this at the top, but uh, maybe we can do a giveaway of sorts for people to follow you on there. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think we're launching this week and we'll start sharing there. Please follow us there. And we'll start doing some type of giveaway next week to try and get people to engage with us a little bit more. But uh, yeah, give us a follow, and yeah, that's where yeah, you yeah, get all sure, your. Make sure to follow podcast. the Promo Guide podcast. Uh, it's I, I just didn't want to clutter up my feed with clips and stuff like that. And so Nick and Hank are going to be doing a great job of posting clips and, and everything that you could find relevant related to this podcast so that'll be very exciting make sure to follow it and it sounds like we will be doing a giveaway next week um, for people who do follow it so awesome anyway rate review subscribe and we'll see you next week thanks everyone